0: I'm Luke Summerhays. I'm James J. Moyles. And I'm Mus. Welcome to Game Game Show, the game show about games. The unique podcast where four white men talk about video games. Look, Luke, when in doubt, don't go with me. <laughs> so my thinking was just like, uh, you usually do these quizzes, yes, no, yes, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> Luke, no one is that lazy. <laughs>
1: We'll say like what ten seconds? That's probably usually <laughs> long enough. Yeah, ten seconds. There we go.
2: I mean, you're not going to time it, so it really doesn't matter. Does fucking <laughs> will
1: time it, mate. I've got to, I've got it on my up on my tablet. Are you fucking s- dog! <laughs> I'm the dog me more than slander. <laughs>
0: Imagine being tied with me. <laughs> 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 this round is called punching upwards. I'm going to name some video gaming celebrities who are much more famous than us. And you're gonna tell me for what reason they were (laughs) cancelled. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no.
3: I have no idea who they are. Uh, I feel like this will be a trend for all of these people. (laughs)
0: Game Game Show is a comedy panel game show about video games. Find it wherever you get your pods by searching Game Game Show, find us on Twitter at Game Game Show, or find this podcast and others that me and my pals create by going to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. Mad so- English sci Sanctuary entonces-
1: The year is 3013, the galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week,
4: Moonraker. In the year
0: 1979, everyone wanted a piece of that Star Wars money.
2: What, what? When was this movie released exactly? Like months, did you get that by chance? Probably uh, not.
0: No. <laughs> uh, it would have been the summer of
1: 79. Uh, oh, okay. Exactly two years after the preceding film.
2: Because I, I was so born the in big, 79. A big, big summer
1: movie.
2: I wanted to know if I was a moonraker. That's my... That's oh, well, my, that's, that's my I will tell you exactly.
1: Um, with my extensive pre-film research, it was, of course, released upon uh, the 26th of June. Oh, okay. 1979 okay. in the United Kingdom, so it might yeah. be a couple of months the away in the US.
2: But uh, I'll take any release date we have. So, can I make that my zodi, my astrological sign? Then Moonraker. the Moonraker. Yeah.
0: Yep. Sure. I mean, are... the opening song sings as though Moonraker is the thing. I'm supposed to know what it is. Mm. So, <laughs> oh, well, I, I can tell you what it uh, the title
1: means. Go on. Man. It's uh, an, probably an urban myth that during the oldie smuggling days, uh, sort of a red Redcoats and uh, Jamaica in times, when the uh, revenue men would come across boats that were smuggling, uh, they would have their fishing nets, nets out and so pretend to be idiots and go, Oh, we're trying to catch moonlights. We're raking the moon, you see, Governor. We ain't doing no smuggling here.
2: Oh, yeah. That's that's, uh, that's, not...
1: that's where the expression is supposed to come up from.
2: That's close mm. enough to Pisces, I think. Okay, I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> um, The film is Moonraker. I am Matt. I am Luke. It's a sci-fi sanctuary. I... We have a guest. Oh, you can say your name. I, I was just saying we have a sci-fi sanctuary.
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, I was going to say, uh, and if it's a 69, you were expecting me. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, he's a filthy man, Matt Jays, Bob. <laughs> and uh i'm Stuart, and i'm not filthy i will be i gonna be a credible, integral film critic uh with no innuendo at all but we'll come up in this conversation
0: all, all, all i'll tell best. you what will come up in this conversation in your endo in your endo oh
2: okay i had to work that out as a joke i thought you were making a point okay cool
0: no the up was just my my boner right
2: okay <laughs> No innuendo, just we're going to say everything directly.
1: <laughs> but, but that's pretty much the level of innuendo this film is at, though. It's not so much, it's just, you know, I am Dr. Goodhead. That's, <laughs> that's barely an innuendo.
2: I know, you know, I I, I actively watch her write notes, and I was like, well, there's not even a point in really referencing that, is there? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's it's insightful or witty or in, anything to notice that, um, you know, there's, there's, Bad puns and things like that.
1: Well, I suppose the thing to note with her name is that it's uh, mildly surprising that James Bond, who is used to meeting women with names like that, mm. would have even assumed she was a man in the first place. You just go, I've got yeah. a good head, that's going to be another woman who I was thinking with later on.
0: Yeah, I, I at no point thought was shocked that it was not a man who was this doctor. Like, did they expect the audience to think it would be a man? <laughs> did- did they think the audience had never seen a Bond? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's a new kind of Bond where Bond has new kinds of relationships.
0: I was saying a,
1: a male doctor, good hair—that would be an entirely <laughs> film, a groundbreaking grab- e- film anyway.
0: Even now, they only make jokes about that. You never sh- you never see it. <laughs> they so were
1: queers gay now.
0: True. Again, in a very easily edited edit it out for China oh, way. Yeah.
1: He's as as much gay as the previous Q was heterosexual, though. So at least it's an even balance.
2: So as far as uh, where this film came on your radar, it's really hard to figure out where you came across a Bond film, especially one of this vintage. Um, We had Channel Seventeen, TBS Superstation in Atlanta. And they just spend the entire weekends playing Bond films and Beastmaster. So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know when I saw this. I probably like saw half of it here, another 10 minutes of it there and eventually piece the whole thing together. Weirdly, this is not one of the ones I like really remember. Well, you think it would be, but it it's not live and let die. That one I definitely saw a lot of so.
1: I mean, if I'd known it was a uh, Beastmaster, you was seen was the Vaughn films, I would have said we should have done a View to a Kill, which uh, has old Tanya Roberts from Beastmaster in it. Oh,
2: it all ties together there. That's cool. Yeah, we okay. would have
1: been Symmetry. We could have done a double bill podcast.
2: But um, <laughs> I, I guess I probably did somewhat avoid this one because it was so poorly reviewed. And as a kid, I was like, oh, bad reviews. Maybe I shouldn't watch this one. Not understanding that in its own special way, it's the best Bond film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's a key thing to mention, actually. This is a film that has had a huge renaissance in sort of the last 20 years. For, when I first got to Bond fandom the Brosnan era, it was the worst one. It was a one people were mocking of. It was the one that it, even a filmmaker sort of went completely mm-hmm. different direction for the next one. They felt embarrassed. By what they'd done, even though it would been a very successful film, it's a very popular film when it was released. And it got gone down well with the kids and all that, so uh, they'd all loved it. But there was a, such a stinking embarrassment about James Bond in space. But it really took up until those kids grew up and started to be able to shout louder over the older fans from the 70s, who had mostly died of old age by that point, and then took over. And especially after Die Another Day took over the crown of the official worst Bonville, mm-hmm. uh, it's, re- it's really sort of, uh, it's gone up in its reputation, especially with its model work, uh, and, uh, cinematography, uh, and uh, Drax. People love Drax now. It's you know, a very timely villain of a billionaire who wants mm-hmm. to conquer space.
0: Is uh, yeah, it's Deadpool. basically Elon Musk. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> he predicted Elon Musk
2: <laughs> is this was this the Bond film actually helped by Austin Powers because we have the one of those films where he goes to space right and I feel like that's the 20 year mark you're talking about <laughs>
1: yeah that, 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 that was the same year we started the start other day so maybe that was like the exact point uh, the intersection happened but yes there's a movie base in uh, Spy Who shagged me
0: uh, if I could say shagged Oh, you can no, even say podcast. cunt if you want. We don't care. But no, oh, well, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yes, yeah, so it's, it's it's bonding space, which is why we're on. It's officially, well, in fact, no, officially, it's not science fiction. So I'm not sure if you can qualify it for your podcast. It's oh, okay, a very we're famous finished. interview that's on the Blu ray of a DVD with producer Kirby Brockley, where he says, This is not science fiction, it's science fact.
2: <laughs> See, I told you that those Air Force jet or uh spacecraft had people in them, the one that stay up for like years at a time.
1: Yeah, people with rayons <laughs>
2: this, this movie's the proof of that, so yeah, sure. <laughs> Where
0: was your first uh raking of the moon? Me, yeah, I mean, I just would have seen it on TV growing up. Okay, do we all um, have
2: the same answer in this case? <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, none of us are old enough to have seen it on opening night.
2: Oh, I don't
0: think. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, I guess. Are you allowed to take infants that young into the theatre? Oh, people, took- people did it all the time in the 70s. Just leave them
2: there.
0: use them as the ashtray, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I, I did actually see a Bond movie with Roger Moore, but unfortunately it wasn't this one, so I can't make that my impressive story about <laughs> it was an event he was at uh, but he uh, wasn't like we coincidentally turned up and we were both watching it but uh, I saw For Your Eyes Only with Roger Moore at Pinewood so that was very that was pretty cool. very exciting I, I'm assuming he sat and watched the entire movie and he didn't just turn up to come out and bow at the end I, <laughs> I'm choosing to believe that
2: yeah, Roger Moore seemed a lot cooler than Roger Moore's Bond in the end <laughs> <laughs> Which is maybe, a, that's, that's weird. <laughs> I guess, well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, is, it, is it story hour? Is this the part where you do a story for us?
0: Yeah, I can run us through the plot. Radio. Matt asked me to do this in my Connery voice, but that seems inappropriate for a Roger Moore bond.
2: That's why I thought it would be extra funny.
1: <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, do it in your good head voice. <laughs>
0: The first I knew about them is one this That's The space shuttle Moonraker is stolen en route to the UK, so not so secret agent James Bond 007 is sent to investigate. He starts by visiting the shuttle's creator, Hugo Drax, who immediately reveals himself as a villain. Bond meets Colleen de and Holly Drax, gets his end away with the former, and flirts with the latter. Bond attempts to find proof of Drax's crimes, leads to, he leads him to Venice and then Rio where he and Goodhead, a CIA agent, board a shuttle and fly up to Drax space station. Drax is planning to kill everyone on Earth and then repopulate with hand-picked ubermensch. With a little help from Holly, foe-turned-friend George, and a ship full of astronauts, <laughs> Bond kills Drax, saves the day, and docks his own rocket.
1: Uh, your your Connery accents make made it sound as if he was helped by a guy called George.
0: <laughs> well, Which could, my... could be Jaws' name. We don't we don't know his real name. Mm, I was shocked I'm uh, looking this film up after the fact. I thought Jaws was in more than just two films. They they nearly had him back for the next one as
1: well. They were like, no, we, we have got we must be serious now.
0: Well that's the I other that's the other surprise, is that. I was like, wow, this is so camp and ridiculous. And Roger Moore looks so old. This must be one of his last films. No, it was his fourth. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I guess, you know, with the actors, there's, you don't have to talk that much about actors in the Bond film, but they like Roger Moore was like too old when they cast him, like just in the first one. It was like you, <laughs> the, maybe he was like age appropriate and just live and let die. And that, that that's pretty much it. <laughs> I
1: mean, he looks great in Live and Let Die, though. I will say he, he's. Lean and mean and he's always looked younger than Sean Connery did. Uh I just think contemporarily, I mean, sort of a uh, Sean Connery at the same time always looked much older. Uh despite being younger. I think but Connery uh, was just
0: born looking old though.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean he was 32 in Doctor Now and he looks like he's about 45. There. <laughs> so he's he's he lived a life, Sean Connery. But um, born old. Yes, this, this was the last sort of automatic one for Ron that That is free film contract. And then he signed up for this extra one pretty much on the spot. But after this, they were always going to replace him. And then something happened that made them agree to his salary demand to come back. <laughs> uh for the next one, it's because they weren't really sure what what they were going to do for a new bond. So we ended up staying for one after that. It was because Sean Connery was coming back uh, for Never Say Never Again. So they said, sort of like, we can't have a new bond go up against Sean uh, Connery. And for his last one, it was, we cannot have Timothy Dalton fuck Bryce Jones. Only Roger Moore can do that.
2: <laughs> I think they should just let him keep doing them for 20 more years after that. Because when, when did, when Roger Moore only died recently, right? He could have been doing... Recently.
1: I mean, again, I suppose you could, uh, Sean Connery did his last action film the same year Dying of a Day came out. So I suppose even one of them could have kept, kept going up until Daniel Craig at least. Makes...
2: So that's like a nexus of time and space, just like good old 1955,
0: I guess. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so this was his exact middle film. He did three before and three after.
2: That's amazing. OK.
0: Because Seven doesn't, doesn't again, like with yours. Seven doesn't feel like enough. I feel like when I was a kid, there was a different Roger Moore Bond movie on every weekend for my entire childhood.
2: Like there were 63 of them or something?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Was like there was seven. <laughs> they're they're all... I think the thing... Oh, sorry.
2: I said they're all pretty long movies, so...
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing with the Moore era is that it didn't... It took a while to get going with the public. I mean, uh, the second one with Man with the Golden Gun was the least successful Bond film uh, up until License to Kill came out. And, I mean, it's, it's still like second from bottom. So like the film before this, where they'd also had all sorts of legal problems, they really went all out of it right, because it could have been the last Bond film, Spy, of Me. So like, Man of the Golden a had been a failure. The team making the films are split up and were suing each other. So it was like the guy who was out making him solo with his, his partner, he put everything into making Spy, of Me. And, big, big film. Uh, kind, of, kind of like George Lucas had Empire Striped Back where he put all of his money into it and if it had failed it would have ruined him. Uh, and it succeeded. It was incredibly successful. So this is sort of like the victory lap for The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, this one. It's virtually the same film but in space instead of underwater.
2: The space does it for me. Well, I have a sci-fi sanctuary, don't I? So that's self-explanatory, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, a man building his undersea, his kingdom to survive nuclear apocalypse underwater. That's not science fiction. But if he does it in space, then it's science fact.
2: We were willing to call the last Bond film science fiction because we did the
0: uh, the episode. We've well, got nanomachines in it, which I'm sure were in the script from the start
2: of Moonraker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think. 90% of Bond films, once you get the gadgets and stuff, you can get away with calling them a sci-fi.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, they
0: I'm not... It uh,
1: certainly brought, tr- into it most of the time. But of course, this one, especially because of Star Wars. Mm. Uh, the previous film had promised the next movie was going to be for your eyes only. Uh, and... They realised after Star Wars, they wanted some bad sweet money, so they went for the one title they had that had it used sounded like science fiction. <laughs> so they, they did write this plot under the title For Your Eyes Only originally. Uh, and in, in that original script, it's still called For Your Eyes Only, the shuttles are called Enterprise Class Shoals, which is quite a nice uh, double sci-fi touch, I think. But of course, when they used the, the book title uh, they went to the Moon Ranger instead.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. this is the movie that has the least to do with the book, is it? No, no, I, I guess that'd be like Quantum of Solace, wouldn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Quantum of Solace is the only film to use the Fleming title that has nothing from the story in it. It doesn't have a location or a character name. Uh, at least this has, a, well, one character name, I think, is Hugo Drax. He's the only one from the book. And the. Uh, uh, rockets class. You mean to tell me the uh, book
0: didn't have Holly Goodhead? Then <laughs> no, no, a gala brand uh, was even. But
1: the book's really interesting actually because it is the only bomb book set entirely in the UK. Mm. It's the only one where he doesn't fuck anybody. In fact, she, she he goes to fuck her at the end, she goes, "Actually, have you met my fiance?" <laughs> and he gets dumped by the girl right at the end.
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, it's it, it's about Nazis who have infiltrated behind the heights of British society. Well, this one's about the space uh, programme, so it's
0: basically about Nazis.
1: Yeah, it's uh, infiltrating British uh, upper echelons and are using British money and a knighthood from the Queen to build a super nuclear missile, which they're going to drop on London, as revenge for the war. And it uh, ed- the book ends in Bond, dropping the bomb instead on a submarine for the Nazis. So n- never say these things were never political. It's a definite definite stance there. But officially, all uh, it's not always to do with the book because I felt that blowing up London wasn't a big enough threat.
2: <laughs> I'm looking up the, the list of uh of, of Miss Good Dr. Goodhead's uh, film career. Lois Childs in lots of stuff, haven't seen it. Oh, she was in speed two, cruise control. That's, <laughs> That's exciting.
1: <it>. Uh, <laughs> she's actually in the original Austin Powers as well. But oh, only yeah. in the international cut. She's cut out of the American release. But um, if you watch the international version, there's a bit every time a henchman gets killed, it cuts their family, finding out that they have been killed. It's like Rob Lowe is in one of those bits. And she's in one as well, getting a call, but a henchman husband has died.
2: <laughs> yeah, has I remember
1: seeing... It,
2: it might have been like son. an extra on the DVD or something. I do remember seeing <laughs> that and finding it rather excessive. <laughs>
1: And uh, in, t- in terms of films out now, she's uh, she is in the Gal Gadot role in the original Death of an Isle.
2: That's there, and she seems quite retired at this point, but I guess you can do that when you have reached your certain age. <laughs> um, We've already mentioned Richard Kielbiz, Jaws. I'm just trying to do the rapping of the uh, actors. Oh, Hugo Drax, of course. we got to talk about Mr. Drax, played by somebody my computer's Drax well. is a
0: weird one because I could kind of see what they're going for with his hit well like his his villain plot is fine and the fact that he's constantly like trying to do Bondish things but not being as good as Bond. So he's like, oh look at these lovely ladies but they're clearly not interested and he's like oh I'm gonna go and do shooting but he's not as good as Bond. It's kind of amusing. But like <laughs> <laughs> what a damn squib of a villain just, just... The little Ricky Gervais guy.
1: See, <laughs> well, I really like Brax. But I think the thing to note with Marco Lonsdale is uh, that both he and just about everybody else in this film being French is because this is not an English movie. Mm. It's a French movie. Uh, as you tell by the incredibly subtle way they introduce a the French chateau, who I'm to the middle of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, tax, ma- taxis were too high because of Margaret Thatcher and uh, just about everybody major involved in this film was a tax exile from the UK at this point, so they couldn't film it here
0: so they uh, mm-hmm. they took over Paris instead Thatcher, 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 Thatcher the James Bond snatcher Yeah, yeah same thing
1: happened with Isis to Kill, but we've mm-hmm. uh, they went to Mexico in that case mm-hmm.
2: um, Yeah, Drax uh, he gets uh, he gets quite a bit of mileage on his name i mean that's that's pretty much the best bond villain name if nothing else mm. <laughs> it's hugo drax i mean that that sounds like a guy who has a you know a, a eugenic space
0: station or whatever <laughs> but like he's I think a it, I think it's good. fucking idiot because it literally like i said in my plot synopsis bond shows up and drax basically just acts villainous and tries to have him killed immediately well, he's none of business? But like, I think it, at that point there was no no one suspected him of anything. And if he just styled it out, he'd be fine.
2: That's because he's playing like eighth dimensional chess, man.
0: But I think maybe, I mean, this is getting ahead of ourselves. The, this film starts, and from the opening scene, is clearly a comedy. <laughs> so you, I just watched the whole film in that mindset, and it's great. But yeah, I wonder if the reason it had this reputation is because people did not expect it to be such a comedy when they went into it. Maybe. Starts with Jaws, who just shows up, is not like, Bond's just finished an action scene and then Jaws is here. (laughs) And then he falls into a fucking circus. (laughs) Is, is Jaws even working for anyone in this movie? And this, later he's working for Drax, but at the start he's just he feels like killing James Bond. He's a, he's a henchman for hire. So yeah. after his, after his first mission fails,
1: and after Drax's original sidekick gets killed, he just phones up a henchman for hire number and he goes, Can I have a new henchman please? And I think that's quite that's also easy to wonder about where did the henchman come from? Or what am I getting out of it? And it turns out you had just a number you call. And actually, if you go to a fund, you know he's going to kill everybody. Hedge you'll go, that's actually a bit shit. Okay, I, I'm not doing this.
2: Does, does he even get paid? Because he does it clearly on his, as a hobby as well. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do it for free. He <laughs> yeah, didn't listen to the Joker. If you're good at something, never do it for free.
2: Hmm. So that's where we are with him, but yeah, yeah. Um
0: But he's he's not very good at it, though, because he also really fails. Skill bond <laughs> every time, even with the that bond keeps punching him in the teeth. You think he'd learn after the first time? Well, this 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 film reminds me so much of Adam West Batman, even in the fact that Drax repeatedly has Bond in his clutches and always puts him in some dumb death trap instead of just shooting him in the head. <laughs> he does it like four times in this film. Even after saying like, well, I've, I've failed to kill you in a fun way. So I'm just going to kill you by trapping you under my rocket.
2: <laughs> That's cool. I mean,
0: oh, it's you, great. Again, get, if you accept passion. the tone of this film,
2: he's got passion for his villainy Villainry. You do it the right way. There's there's probably like, you know, in the Geneva Convention or something, you have to do
0: it that way pretty sure in the geneva convention you're explicitly not supposed to do it that way <laughs> well, there's no geneva in space
2: there we go well you know the first couple of attempts are on land though so yeah because supervillains need to um adhere to international law as we know <laughs> okay I,
1: I like the idea but he's like a short he's got the all these nazi ideals and uh, about perfect humanity. is this short, dumpy little fat dad who doesn't remotely live up. He would not match the standards of his community if he, if he was put to them. So I think there's a good hypocrisy there in his, uh, in his self-delusion about well, per- perfect people.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that that's pretty much like a, uh, a a good
1: old Nazi standby. <laughs> I mean, all yeah. he really wants is, to do is live on space... In a space station surrounded by beautiful women and uh without any annoying people around who, who wouldn't want that mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's kind of got a
2: car i mean it's like the manson family in space basically right yeah
1: <laughs> it, it also did one of the flaws of a previous film which said it basically exactly the same film is that the uh stromberg in that wants to go live underwater and nobody is stopping him going to live in the water. So he can go live. He doesn't need to blow up the world on the surface. <laughs> he can just go live underwater. So at least here, there's a reason for him to wipe out all of humanity. He doesn't want to live on a space station's entire life. He wants to go back down and repopulate the Earth. So we obviously listened to some criticism of the previous film. Well, let's make this feelings plan a little bit more solid, a little bit more realistic. And nuanced and I don't. Oh, <laughs> they failed miserably. <laughs>
2: we well, added this touch of logic, so we got that going for us at least.
1: Well, I do like that they bothered to explain near the end why he sold the Moon Ranger at the start.
2: Because
1: I think yeah, most people of his, would his have was broken. Yeah, it's like, well, <laughs> he had a broken, we needed a new one quickly, so we just took it back. That, that's a reasonable explanation for what starts off a plot. I and mean, they could have just not bothered with that two hours in, but I think most of you would have. This weekend, what was about game all about? Double taking pigeon. <laughs>
0: Of this film was basically ripped off wholesale for Superman Returns, right? Shuttle launches while it's still attached to the seven four seven.
4: Oh yeah, of course that's
0: uh, that's from the
1: uh, Superman comics. I think when they relaunched from a few years later, that's how Superman makes his first appearance. I know
0: it's always he's like so, he's some sort of airplane catch, as it's yeah. Saying. It's, it's uh, so I think that uh, comic could have easily ripped off
1: this film because he's basically the yeah. same.
0: Same but yeah, thing. just just but that image of the shuttle on top of the seven four seven taking off. I I mean, maybe the shuttles were transported that way. I don't know. Oh, uh, they they
1: they were. Yeah, in fact, that's okay. all
0: shuttles had done at the point this film had come out. They had oh, none of them had
1: spacious. actually gone up yet. Oh, cool. Yeah, they, they built the Enterprise and had done. They took it up on a seven four seven and let it glide down so we could do that. But okay. None of them had been into space yet. If they were supposed to have. But they uh, they turned out to be less good at getting shuttles into space than these filmmakers were. So it didn't actually happen until about a year after the films release. Uh, which and annoyed now, the filmmakers because they were like, "We wanted, but this is it, but the shuttle launch—and it never right.
0: happened." <laughs> I now can't remember when we see the shuttle launch in this film. Is it attached to a separate rocket, or does it just launch itself?
1: It, it's got the three stages of real one. anyway.
0: Okay, up. cool. Yeah, yeah, which are
1: salt shakers. Uh, on a string with salt, salt coming out the bottom as they're, <laughs> they're flying up. That's how they did that effect.
2: Awesome. I'm pretty sure the real one worked that way as well. But yeah, um, that's why they space... kept
1: exploding. It was very sad. We never realized the effect of salt corrosion.
2: The, the space station itself, of course, is is fun now that there is a uh, a kind of proper space station up there because this one uh, again has way too much open space. <laughs> It makes it easier to get the cameras in, that's that's for sure. It'd be hard to film a movie on the International Space Station.
0: Once we course, got uh, up to space, I was amazed how good it looks. Oh, yeah, I've got about uh, Ked Adam, brilliant production designer.
1: So interesting, before this, he had done designs for the Star Trek movie, but never happened in the mid seventies, from which uh the Discovery a uh, new T V show is based on the Enterprise from that film. Okay, he yeah. very so he'd uh, he'd already done lots of spaceship space stations on into that unmade movies. So I think uh, he, had, he had sort of a bit of a head start on the production. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I got I, I got a friend who uh, loves the first half of this movie, and I'm like, I, for me, it's like no, it's the second half that really lights on fire because <laughs> of its insanity. You know, uh, once we get into his new age, you know, caught underground domicile, that's pretty hip. That's, that's where the movie really starts for me. Uh, g- giving, of course, you know, there's uh, the circus and the uh, gondola. I mean, there's so many things. They put too many things in this movie. That's part of its charm.
0: Yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed it start to finish, but like, as just a really silly romp. Like, no, they... it, it doesn't have a serious bonus body. I've, no, had, I've if... had a
1: couple of moments where it goes incredibly dark, like when she gets ripped apart by the dogs. Mm. I've had to play it entirely straight as just a nasty moment. Or when Jaws is wearing well a clown costume is walking towards that other woman very slowly <laughs> that's really creepy as well it's like hey, they're making a very silly comedy field they every half hour again hey, let's do a horror film time <laughs> let's <laughs> scare the shit out
2: of kids we all know that the first bond girl in any bond movie is going to meet a horrible end
1: yeah i, I guess that's, that's enough fun. about uh, roger's penis <laughs> there,
2: there's not even the uh, slightest um tick out of the formula box for this movie which for you know when there's 25 Bond movies that makes it kind of fun well it goes to space I guess that's the only tick that's different than the standard Bond
1: (laughs) as well as being a remake of a previous film it's that film was a remake of You Only Live Twice (laughs) Uh, which also had some space stuff at the end but Bond didn't quite get space in that one so this is literally the third time they made this film in 11 movies <laughs> and uh, we did it at least once more after this. about never noise. the whole. At least, uh...
2: at least it's not Thunderball again, right?
1: <laughs> they can't recreate Thunderball. They are not <laughs> allowed to again. Only uh, Kevin McClory can do that.
2: Right. <laughs> um. So in this movie, Bond is 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 a company man because Luke, you're complaining every Craig movie is Bond against the system. How how do you feel about Company Man Bond?
0: Even in this one, um, towards the end, he has to go a little bit off book. Because um, is he the Home Secretary, the Foreign Secretary, whoever? Oh, Minister of Defence. Minister of Defence, there you go. Who, Minister of Defence, uh, he's friends with Who, Drax and doesn't believe Bond. So M has to pretend Bond's on like sabbatical and send him off to do a mission. Yeah, so he's, he's still going boring. a little bit off books, but yeah... Uh, it's not quite craig where literally every single film he's breaking orders and it's treated like it's the first time he's done it <laughs> and he's got yeah,
2: but, running a side yeah. hustle of his uh, spacex only fans of course
1: <laughs> yeah but the amazing thing about freddie gray's uh minister of defense who is one of those bond regulars nobody remembers even though he's in five of the films in a row huh. is he was even one before this under a labor government And in this one, it's our Conservative, Thatcher Government, and he's still Minister of Defence. He's defected from Labour to the Tories and kept his job. It's the most high-stakes political defection in British political history, and nobody mentions it in the films.
0: Well, no, you see, in in the universe of this film, Bond didn't allow Thatcher to become Prime Minister. but, (laughs) But
1: Thatcher is in the next film. Ah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. Bo- Bo- she tries to flirt with Bond at the end and he starts off a of shy woman instead he was <laughs>
2: able to delay the inevitability
0: of Thatcher
1: mm. like, <laughs> by a year I think I,
0: even, but that might be the most heroic thing Bond's ever done
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's where I feel bad for this film this film says the entire, entirety of humanity for Prime minister's a phony. the mm. next film he saves one decoding device that's where patcher decides to phone him up and go Oh, I say, Mr. Bond, you're so wonderful. But I say this film is where he does a bigger job. Getting your priorities right, Thatcher.
0: I mean, they they start to phone him and he's bulls deep. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the Queen who's watching him in this
1: one. She respects okay. what Bond does. Uh, she she sees James Bond having sex. That's <laughs> kept him going for another forty years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I bet she bloody enjoyed it. Mm. Dirty bitch.
2: So the plan is um, fun, like we're going to go to space and how are they going to kill everyone on Earth? They're they're shooting down Uh,
0: Nerve gas.
2: Oh, right, right, right. With the Death
1: Star, I think.
2: Yeah. (laughs) The gassy Death Star, right. Gaseous Death Star. Just
1: something that requires you to do that, down Dab- the trench run firing your lasers at the impossible target. Something like, anything like that is what you're allowed to
0: do in a space, in a space field. Closer to, um... no, I've forgotten. Oh, Captain uh, America, I mean, Captain America, it's all different, shooting them all over the world. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, think the most
1: spits is when the targeting system breaks down and he has to use a force link. Ship the last <laughs> one, manually. That's, that's just where George Lucas should have just had a credit.
0: Bond used the force. Oh, I never use force. It's always consensual. In fact, considering George <laughs> Lucas was
1: suing other Star Wars knockoffs around this point, I'm surprised he didn't sue Bond people as well. Maybe he thought that maybe be sued by too many people with all the Bond lawsuits. I on.
0: think it's loose enough, because it's more actual real-world nasa uh, space than facts, Star wars yeah. space. Yeah.
2: And he would have think, had plenty of other people to sue if that was his game.
0: I mean, on the list with like Battlestar and Buck Rogers and stuff, I'm, this was nowhere near the top.
1: Right. Yeah, um, Battlestar was the one he did sue. And then they yeah. sued him back over Flash Gordon, I think. And then they double sued, triple sued, triple
0: sued. So maybe he was a bit sick of all suing suey at this point as well. Or maybe it was like... Um, do you know the thing about John Carpenter and Hideo Kojima? No, no, do tell. Uh, well, basically, Solid Snake is a straight-up rip-off of Snake Pliskin, but John Carpenter's met Hideo Kojima and he's just like, no, nah, he's a nice guy, so I'm not going to sue him. <laughs> so, so maybe maybe George Luke's just like, no, nah, Bond's all right, I'm not going to sue Bond. <laughs> you should, yeah, so I, we, I don't you think John Carpenter owns the Snake Plissken wrong, safely he would have been able to anyway. Possibly not. But yeah, there's another quote where it's like, how do you feel about these remakes of your films? And he's like, well, the ones that I get paid for are good and the ones that I don't are bad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you got to have a good metric to, you know, run this stuff by.
0: John Carpenter's Um, banter. I like John Carpenter.
1: (laughs) Speaking of more famous directors, this would have been one uh, Steven Spielberg would have done Hmm. if, if they'd have let him. Uh because they wouldn't, he went off and uh did Grant the Indiana Jones, he said.
2: Yeah, so it's always that- interesting how a bunch of people are like, I want to make it. like Nolan obviously wants to make a Bond film. He's never going to because there's some <laughs> weird weird recipe needed for the uh for the Bond film in the end, you know? Like it's kinda of like Marvel movies, right? You can't really have a real director like you know. Do that. We'll, we'll see how Raimi pans out later this year, which he probably won't. So I think that's <laughs> changing a
0: little bit because, like, Taika Waititi got to do his own shit, and again, yeah. it's, ju- it's literally just him. Yeah, uh, J- James Gunn until they found like a ten-year-old tweet.
2: <laughs>
0: um, they, they, they didn't nearly have some quite famous directors
1: work on it around. Uh, John Landis worked on a previous film on the scripts and was down as a potential director. Uh, which,
0: because if probably... there were
1: helicopters in every bottom field, he <laughs> didn't get that <laughs> gig.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I only found out about that a couple of months ago when me and Matt did the Twilight Zone movie, and he got to tell me live on the podcast about all that shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, why wow, you? Probably uh, Matt Landis was only the second worst thing he ever did. <laughs> <laughs> or was it Max Landis? I think it's Max. I don't care enough to respect Max, his, his property.
0: Max Landis actually was a is a Bond villain name right there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I had to, <laughs> I I woke up this morning checking to see if Dan Aykroyd had died. He's still alive.
0: Did you dream that he died?
2: Yeah, someone mentioned him yesterday on a different podcast. And then I think I dreamed that fact in my sleep. And I was like, wait. And then I think it's because Ivan Reitman did die a few weeks ago. So I was like, you mm. know, crossing all the wires. So I had to check. Uh,
1: you're you worried that there might be a curse of ghostbusters.
2: Yeah, yeah, good. I I came up because he um apparently Dan Aykroyd was on a podcast just shilling his vodka several times.
0: Is it a curse if they all just die when they're very elderly men? <laughs> I know that's <laughs> what it's,
2: it's such a tragedy. It's the
0: same curse that we all have. It's called mortality.
2: <laughs> it's like it's like when the Queen dies. Uh, she's really really old, and people are still going to flip out, right? Oh, God. <laughs> I know you're not but people are
1: (laughs) I mean I'll have a party The way things are going we'll all probably be Died at the same time as us We won't have time to worry Yeah cheerfully on the silly wacky adventures about funny guy James Bond uh, this is definitely like the, the, the real family popularism by Jaws everything that happened happened to him in this film was a result of what kids wrote in about <laughs> after the previous films Like, can Jaws be nice can Jaws get a girlfriend all the letters from kids all, all the letters they got from small children they were like yep he can, he can be nice and he can have a girlfriend
0: I, I I love and I know it's pure cheese I love the you know talking the villain around to being a good guy at the end stuff like that I mean especially when he's just a big dumb brute so I thought that was great <laughs> I don't even have an issue with that I thought it was brilliant he's
1: a, a purely wily coyote character of this film Jaws. Yeah. it's like uh, him and uh, Bond is his roadrunner
0: well, and then yeah. they team up against Acme at the end it's beautiful That's exactly... I was watching it thinking, like, wait, when did Jaws and Bond just become Tom and Jerry? When did he become just this villain who shows up every couple of scenes to get a comical comeuppance (laughs) and not apply to the plot in any way? And it's so weird that that's just in this one film. (laughs) Because the way he shows up was like, that was this long-running gag in this series of family films. But it's like, no, remember when this was a serious spy thriller? But now it's this. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that was one complaint that we still at the time it came out. He said, if you've got James Bond, who is this unkillable fantasy character up until recently, anyway, <laughs> and then having Jaws, who is also an unkillable fantasy character, pushes it you can't have two of them in the same film, and it gets a bit too much. But it's that's not bothered me. I, I quite like all the silliness of Jaws,
0: yeah. Well, I mean. If anything, it does make sense to have two because you've got like Bond and the anti-Bond. Um, uh, quite a few of them have tried to do that. Obviously, you've got like 006 in um, GoldenEye. No spoilers. spoil <laughs> Various Bonds, I think, have tried to have like, he's like a Bond, but he's bad. And I think Jaws is at least more interesting than that.
2: Yeah, I'm saying you're thinking, though, if if you took Moonraker out of Roger Moore's uh, Bond run, then his Bond run just commits the sin of being relatively boring. Mm. (laughs) Well, maybe there's some Sunday afternoon slipping into that assessment as well, you know.
0: You mentioned Bond being this, like, unkillable fantasy character. And, like, in the same way that this film was, like, a desperate attempt to be Star Wars, I think a lot of the Craig stuff has tried to make it a superhero film. Like, he's way more over the top now. Most of the action is CGI nonsense. Like, there have been attempt. There's always been an attempt to make Bond whatever the popular thing is. I don't think this film is, like, unique in that.
1: I mean, uh, uh, Casino Royale was uh, basically Bond Begins. Uh, you talk about Nolan very indebted to, to Nolan and uh, the last one definitely had a lot of MCU stuff in it to mm. the point I'm not sure if the uh, villains plot was obviously cut down because of COVID or cut down because it was too much like Thanos mm. but, uh, True, <laughs> or both but well, there was definitely some editing went on uh, during the two years it was sat on the shelf about the explanation of what he was doing at the end yeah. but that's another film but uh, uh, I suppose the first one to do that was really Liver Let Die, which is a black exploitation film mm. starring the yeah. single whitest man who's ever lived. <laughs> makes a funny juxtaposition. I love Liver Let Die. He does get complaints of racism, but I think it's I'm not going to tell anyone any black people who find it racist not to, but I think it's quite a funny satire putting him into that scenario where the black characters are all treated with respect, uh, whether they're villains or not. Uh, then after that, it's a Kung Fu movie, mm-hmm. which is more racist by a considerable margin. Uh, but spider me is a bit of a weird one because it's not quite anything contemporary, really, because Star mm. Wars had not happened yet, so it was that same summer. So as it says, it's lucky in that regard, but it's a lot more sci-fi out there. This is a Star Wars one. The next one's the anti-Star Wars one. <laughs> Medicine, Indiana Jones one. And then it's whatever the hell of have used Achilles, which is one of those things many people have wondered over the years. <laughs>
2: well, that one, that one's the walking one.
1: That's that's a walking one, all right.
2: <laughs> so I, I guess they, they just uh, tried so hard in this one. You know, it's it's like watching a a kid try really hard and then fail miserably.
0: Well, it, it's the the constant cycle of Bond. I think is just this one's really wacky, like it was when you were a kid. This one's really grounded. It's not like the wacky one. This one's really wacky, like when you were a kid. No, this one's really grounded. It's not like the wacky one. And it's just that back and forth forever.
2: Except for Daniel Craig, where it's this time, Bond's against the system.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, the problem now is that every Bond film has the plot. Does the world still need Bond? And, like, when you've made that plot six times in a row, I guess the answer is no. <laughs> the world I mean, the a answer is definitely,
1: uh, definitely no, the last one. I mean, there's yeah. all sorts of interesting stuff you would say about that title sequence alone where the statues of Britannia are falling <laughs> over, like the Lenin statues doing the GoldenEye title sequence. Where you go. Yeah, this is saying the same thing it was saying about communism 15 years earlier about the UK. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's another podcast. This is a film where Britain is great and have space shuttles
0: and... Uh, Hover gondolas and boats that launch um, hang gliders. Just in case you're going towards waterfall. <laughs> I also love that the hang glider scene, which is pretty tame, is full of horrendous green screen. Whereas oh, the met, dived, there's a lot of
1: it in this film. Whereas
0: but, the skydiving yeah. scene, which is, like, actually insane... Is mostly real in camera stuff. Well, you put your budget where you have to. Yeah. They,
1: they did try and film the boat scene for real going over mm. that waterfall. Obviously, there weren't any actors in it. It's just yeah. great. uh But the boat got stuck up top of the waterfall.
0: Over <laughs> it, like, it's a rock. So you had to do it all with uh, model work. Mm. The model work looks good. I'm just thinking of the like Roger Moore's close ups look terrible.
2: So they're like, screw this, we'll just go play in our tub
0: yeah <laughs> like could they not have just put him in front of a blue sky and shot it from below and it would have looked 10 times better
1: <laughs> uh, the go. opening skydiving scene is brilliant uh, yeah I, mean, I think Iron Man 3 has a similar sequence uh, yeah 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 they yeah, yeah. we made made, well. went to get some of the same sub people who worked on this Bond film to do it <laughs> said, hey, we're going to do
0: that we'll get the same guys um, Point Break there's another classic jumping out without a parachute scene
1: it's, a, it's a whole genre.
0: I guess we're never going to do a Point Break podcast, so I'll, I'll bring it up here. The whole thing in the Point Break one is is he wants to. He says like, "I'll shoot you if you don't pull the shoe. And he's like, "You won't shoot me." And eventually, Keanu throws the gun away. Should have shot him in the leg, and then pulled the shoot.
2: That's not what a real man does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think this film would have been the first film to do that because I, I understand it's for camera, the camera cameraman uh, mm. waving, the shooting scene. Uh, had to be specially invented for all its film. I can you wearing a normal 35mm camera, it would break your neck with a parachute. Right, so it like yeah. A, it had its own little parachute that came out first. And I spent <laughs> a lot of time inventing and developing that before ah, we cool. could go, go film any of it. Maybe they broke a few necks along the way as they were testing it. I don't know about that.
0: But yeah, that <laughs> so whole sequence... I, I is... would not have volunteered. That sequence is amazing. It's really good. And I can only—I can't imagine what it would have been like watching it in a theater in 1979. And then it ends with a terrible shot of Jaws falling into a circus. <laughs> so. It's
1: intuitive, yeah, but because this film is so different from uh, a book, it got its own novelization. Mm. And uh, in the novelisation, uh, Jaws doesn't show up until Rax calls him, mm. so uh, he's not in the pre-credits. And he's he basically is up here till right near the end. Uh he doesn't go over the waterfall either, so it's, it's like he's only in the
0: the yeah, babe
1: jaws sequences.
0: We have the the parachute bit, the boat bit, the um cable cars bit, and then the space station. So there's four different Jaws sequences. Oh and his girlfriend isn't in the novel either. I
1: think she's actually <laughs> quite a quite a late stage.
2: So, I guess we but cut um, out the first three of those in the yeah.
1: book then. But uh, it's easy because the novelization is written in a style of Ian Fleming, <laughs> a sort of a pastiche. <laughs> because uh, a guy who wrote the Squeak Blaze, like, was having some fun. So, it's like a really serious, gritty <laughs> version of this film. Where, like more <laughs> bloody violence and swearing and <laughs> sex. So, if you want it, you've got Moonraker, don't they seriously. Uh, I would recommend people who crack down the book Okay
2: You know what I would have uh, changed uh, I would have had
1: uh, Drax upside James Mason in the book as well who, He was a guy they would have got to play him If right. I had to use a French actor
2: <laughs> Their wishful thinking I would have had Bond vomit in his own face During the tilt to whirl scene about, yeah, there's I, a better I, name for that.
1: I'm not ready for a while, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. <laughs> uh, they did a novelization of A Spy Who Loved Me as well, so that's also nothing like its book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it was reading that uh, where Bond gets electrodes tied to his genitals and gets electric shocks put through them. Recite uh, the film! You will be surprised to hear. So those novelization are definitely, definitely a uh, sort of more oh, <laughs> intense version of Bond, which is a surprise this guy who wrote for him and wrote the screenplay of this film also wrote all those 70s British sex comedies the Confessions of Window Cleaner <laughs> films so he's a, he basically from a broad palette and sure. I suppose the film Moonraker is more like Confessions of a Window Cleaner
0: than, than the novel is I'm sure Bond has had electrodes attached to his genitals on a Saturday night of his own choosing so.
2: <laughs> no, I was about to say like do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to come.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a different Bond film.
0: <laughs> the, uh confes- Confessions of a Double A7. <laughs> the scene with the, the G-Force testing thing. I'd imagine at the time this film came out, most people hadn't seen one of those. That well, probably was a cool new space thing you were learning about.
2: I wonder if some of the '60s, you know, people knew what the Mercury NASA is, so nerds
0: would have known about it. Yeah, but I bet it wasn't like as I'm pretty well. Maybe I'm doing it's, the thing of because I'm a space nerd. I'm assuming everyone else does. I feel like most people know what those things are now.
1: I mean, it's kind of this for me because it's like a much scaled up ripoff a bit from Thunderball, mm. where he goes on a traction table and somebody a villain comes in and turns it up to. And he goes, as he's being stretched. And <laughs> right. uh, the woman comes to get and gets him. She's like, oh, my, it must, it must have been a terrible accident, Mr. Bond. I'm so sorry. Mm. <laughs> and so it's just virtually exactly the same scene, but on a much bigger device. And we're like, yeah, we got some money here. We don't need no traction table anymore. We're going to spin him round. Well, who, I wonder if they just visited the a place movie. where they had
0: one of them.
2: <laughs> it's like this whole movie is like, you know, things from past. Bond films jacked up to 11, right?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, definitely. It's uh, it, well, you say it's a bit self indulgent and so maybe playing it a bit safe, but uh, which does happen to these bond films every so often, like you say, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more uh self indulgent. They do need to power down a bit. Uh, often they go a bit too far and power it down, right? I mean, uh, especially to a license to kill, which is just a die-hard film. Maybe. Like, no, maybe people don't want further Bond films anymore. And of course, that same year, you had Lice, uh, Last Crusade with James Bond in it. but a fun romp. And you had the Batman movie about the guy with the cool car and all the gadgets and poor mm. license to kill. Got trumped spy films that were a lot more like a Bond movie.
0: But uh, yeah, did this
1: is uh, definitely a very indulgent movie.
0: Well, while well, we've got you here, Stuart, me and Matt um, did a podcast for No Time to Die and at the end, we asked, like, so what do they do next? So what do you think they do next for Bond? Uh, I think it'll be another reboot.
1: I think oh, yeah. uh, Daniel Craig will be his own contained era. It'll be a new Bond. Uh, they might go bad and go for a black Bond or uh, uh, another white Bond, anyway. Uh, but it'll be broadly the same character. They, they, they're not going to do Jane Bond or anything like hmm. that. And he's one of his characters who was defined by their gender. But as long as they keep this in the present day, uh, it doesn't matter really what color they are, As I they're British. Uh, if they were to go down the road to do the 50s retro bond, which lots of fans want, but I don't think we ever actually do, uh, then it would have to be a white guy. But uh, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be totally rule out Tom Hardy at this point, because even though he's getting too old, when I talk to people, they don't care. They want some Tom Hardy. They would mm-hmm. watch him do whatever the fuck he likes for two hours. And that might be enough to coast him through for a couple of films. I think he'd be a very much populist choice. Uh, I mean, I saw some people the other week, and I mentioned, you know, Tom Hardy's in a Star Trek film. they were like, I'm going to go watch that Star Trek film now. I was like, it's a <laughs> shit Star Trek film now. They are like, I don't care. I will watch <laughs> Tom Hardy eat shit for two hours. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but did you tell them that he's not buff yet? Did that put them off?
1: <laughs> no, I showed him photos. we were like, "Ooh, he's like young and he's <laughs> yeah. skin tight PVC. It's a different sort of top mm. hardy."
0: Hmm. Um, I was because yeah, yeah, me and Matt when we were talking about it, we we kind of do want to see him do just like Cold War Bond.
2: That's the world that needs a Bond, right?
0: Yeah. Cause yeah if we keep just going in modern times then the idea of bond is just entirely more and more ridiculous give you a bond where he's just a sweaty nerd who sits at his computer and looks at like russian bots
2: <laughs> how about how about we put in we, we throw a zinger at everyone it's it's set in the 70s not the 60s and is set entirely inside of jamaica for every movie that'd be cool <laughs>
1: If you you change a decade every film you basically have those people X-Men movies where none of them age over 30 years.
0: (laughs) Even though there's a character who a big part of his character is that he goes bald instead of using that to show him aging over the decades he uses all of his hair at once in a sci-fi incident in the third one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It would have been so easy. They have wigs and applications and stuff. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, that boy just, just couldn't be bothered, that's all. He was like, no, I just just throw some powder on my face, I'm doing this. And then, <laughs> oh, crap, he still has all his hair. We need to do this fast. <laughs> so I mean, very... If I
1: went back to the, uh, the books for sort of 50 set stuff, I think some of the problems would be, A, a lot of the best books were turned into films fairly close to when they were set. Mm. So you, you wouldn't make a better film with Goldfinger just by setting it five years earlier when the film was set. Mm. Uh, or, doctor no know, three years earlier when the film was set. So you basically have to do a film *The Moonraker mm. and The Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> I mean, but the last film had lots of uh, set pieces for books they hadn't used yet, so mm. you couldn't do a faithful version of *The Live, Christ, that, because they've just done that with no time to die. All the, all the bits of it. Uh, so that would be a tough thing because he'd be pretty a lot of grand, they already did at the time. Books.
0: The set. reason the reason I want to see them go back to slightly period pieces just because all of the elements of Bond that are problematic they can just lean into. They'd be like, yeah, he is a bit sexist and racist. Let's explore that. Let's let's have a Bond who maybe you're not necessarily supposed to identify with and. I actually set I mean, it in the time that's appropriate. But. The interesting thing is, because, books is that, uh, because you get bonds in a monologue,
4: mm.
1: there's a lot of thoughts and conversations about how Britain is past it mm. in the books. Uh, and it's, you know, it's all about, uh, but especially related, as they go on, it's like, he's obsessed with the idea that the NHS is a bad idea. <laughs> it's destroyed the will of British people and make them all lazy. That comes up a few times. Brilliant. The uh, welfare state and giving away the colonies. And oh, we fought so hard about war and we're just still not rationing, we're still living in our own shit. And now all our old allies are laughing at us. and we've got Nazis, sort of got nuclear bombs on us. And it's, it's you can tell that Ian Fleming was an increasingly bitter man as the books went on, as the age, but the character of Bond stays the same age. He's like a 30 year old with a political opinions of a 55 year old.
2: I was thinking we they you know if they since they did the books properly in the 60s to a certain extent they could just like make the next set of Bond films like remakes of the Mission Impossible films and really confuse people.
1: <laughs> That's what we think because uh, Spectre and the Mission Impossible film that came out that same year, which I can't remember the name of, they are basically exactly the same film anyway. We've got up the same plot about. Uh, <laughs> I can't even remember what the bloody plot's about now, but uh, surveillance and all that. Oh, and, uh, sure. So, yeah, it's like Star Wars. Uh, in 79, They're it's all leading into the same ideas.
2: Forty-three years later, how's this one holding up? I, I feel like we're on the page that its uh, reputation is improved because people accept Matt, it for what it is now. Yeah,
0: it's forty-three years later.
2: It's I too day. early in the morning.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> God, don't you wish it was only twenty twelve again?
2: <laughs> That's when the world ended. <laughs>
0: uh, I I. Yeah, this seems like one of those films that holds up better now than when it came out because you can just accept it for what it is now. And what it is, is a really funny film.
2: (laughs) So would you say it's the funniest of the Bond films? It might be. Yeah. (laughs) I was
0: genuinely laughing along with it last night. It's great. Along with it or at it? I Along with it. It's clearly meant to be, right? Like most of what I was laughing at was a deliberate joke. Yeah. Maybe not. uh, for a little test of what people think now, a
1: couple of weeks ago, I watched this uh, for this podcast, but with a group of friends, hmm. most of whom had not seen it before, and uh, they had a great time. They loved this, they loved the hover they loved the Dankridge. They had some problems with sexism with all a woman, <laughs> and uh, some of them more casual racism, like the Asian assassin who dresses up like a samurai
0: for no reason. Well, he's just wearing a kendo set, which is designed to be non-lethal. It's a sporting <laughs> attire. <laughs> 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 <They're> going, ah! <laughs> and really, uh Brax doesn't know that
1: guy's name because he calls him uh, Char, I think. Well, according to the end credits, his name is Chang. <laughs> so imagine that level, that level of having a bad boss.
0: Which also is a Chinese name, and he's clearly in Japanese kendo gear.
1: So. Uh, but the, the whole smash
0: a glass bit in Venice,
1: uh, they were really surprised by it turning into a space laser fight at the end. None of them were quite expecting that. Oh, God, they went yeah. a bit.
0: The Venice bit was so funny, where he like chooses not to throw the thing that's valuable, <laughs> and then he gets smashed anyway. That was great. That's a great <laughs> gag. <laughs> it's a genuinely hilarious film. Although yeah, seeing Bond turn up in Venice, I expect heartbreak now. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a YouTuber called Calvin Dyson. who's sort on, of like one of the main YouTube uh, Bond reviewers on YouTube. Mm. Uh, so, Considering the caliber of other people who've had on his podcast, he's probably the guy you would have wanted for this if you've would heard of him. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't going to say. But he did quite a funny edit of the uh, the end of uh, Casino Royale, where Bond's running about looking for Vespa to go kill her. And he put double taking pigeon in as he was running about. Oh, a double takey pigeon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing.
1: Which well, a apparently a very difficult shot to do because he needed a pigeon to do it. Needs a single take, take before he could reverse the feeling right. for a gag. That's hard. That's hard to get a pigeon to do, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's and easier. I like Roger in this. I know he's on the cusp of being too old for it, but he's not as old. As he was get, when he's in his black gear, he looks cool, and he mm. maybe not so much when he is thing with spinning round and round. He sees wrinkles yep. from doing that. Mm. Uh, when he's got my with his up hair dryer in his face, but oh, may, uh, I imagine
0: he's watching that scene thinking like, "Oh, maybe I should get it pinned back. That looks good." And, uh, and he did, <laughs> of course, because he looks very odd
1: in a user Kill. <laughs> but once, uh, but I think he's pretty cool in this, and he's got the right attitude. yeah, uh, you know, he's a better actor, than people say in the next mm. one. Where it's more serious lets him do some actual acting. Yeah. Uh, but he's got the right, he's got the right mood and tone for this. Yeah. Film, yeah, he's he's the only Barton who could have done it as well. Yeah, you could you could have put Sean Connery in this. Uh you could Fair have imagined well. Timothy Dalton in this. That would have been a whole different movie. Chris
0: Brosnan uh,
2: had some similar energy. He could have. He could have made it to Brosnan. Brosnan
0: makes an attempt at mooring a bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he has. He's in a moor. The irony is with Daniel Craig. So on. Is Roger Moore? Because hmm. you
1: see interviews with all the others. They're always going. Oh, I wish it could be more serious and more dramatic and. Yeah, had a chance to do some more real acting. When you see Daniel Craig, he's going, oh, I love it when Roger Moore went up to space and shot loads of lasers and people. I'd love to do some of that.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, it's good fun.
2: Yeah, I, I guess Roger Moore's age in here is, is actually like kind of like one of the better jokes when you get down
1: to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I think at I this point, he's younger than Daniel Craig was in the last one. Very, you would soon be quite a bit (laughs) older.
0: I think I got this from you, Stuart, but it's funny that Daniel Craig's second film, they're already doing... Well, the first film is his origin, and the second film is Are You Too Old To Be Bond?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They have these massive gaps. I mean, the the gaps between Spectre and No Time To Die is Mm. only one year less than the entire Pierce Brosnan era. (laughs) The gap between two of his films, which... uh, We've lost two Daniel Craig films along the way, unfortunately, but uh, mm. what he's doing three-hour movies, I guess he's probably about the same
0: screen time as more In terms of, like, years as officially The Bond, is Craig the longest? Uh, he is, if you don't count Never Say Never Again, which... uh um, oh, right, because, yeah, Connery went away and came back.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, which, officially, it's not. It's, it's never, ever going to be counted as part of any sort <laughs> of Bond. Even though they own Rod's now, because they uh MGM swapped their rights mm. to Spider-Man for Sony's rights to Thunderball huh. uh as a sort of prisoner exchange So <laughs> they own Thunderball and never said ever again fully now but they, they, they made them, when Sean Connery died they were like oh Sean Connery who played Bond six times not seven <laughs> was like the official tweet so it's uh so yeah, so it's he's out already. the rock. Yeah, as well <laughs> oh well, uh, as an official officially approved bond, uh Daniel Craig is the longest serving one.
0: I see. But he's maybe he'll come back and do one them. in ten years unofficially, just to really fuck with everyone. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also to be about his little uh I mean to maybe, maybe, maybe
1: we'll have a Judy Denchi one after she died, so maybe, yeah, maybe we'll bring back
0: as a video message. For the new, uh, the new clone bond. Well, they'll, just, they'll just leave it long enough that everyone's forgotten how, like... Because in that film, there's no doubt he's dead. But if they wait if like, they wait 10 years before doing a sequel, they can say, like, oh, no, he slipped into a bunker. You, you just missed it.
1: <laughs> honest, uh, it's based on the end of a book if you only live twice. Right. Well, at the end of that, he's in this pitch battle with Blofeld on this Japanese island in a garden of death and it all explodes, and everybody thinks he's dead, mm. but he's not. He's just got amnesia <laughs> and been rescued by his Japanese fisher girlfriend who has him on her island till the next book as a sort of cliffhanger ending. So right up until it's actually exploded in his face. I thought, what are we going to do? Is he going to survive? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, he's not. No, he's not surviving that. It's not... There's no ambiguity like there is in the book <laughs>
0: Although considering some of the shit Daniel Craig's Bond survived, I wouldn't be surprised if we just get him brushing the dust off like A-team <laughs> style.
2: <laughs> but see, the the, the blast propulsed him into like a mountain of cotton candy.
0: Oh, you see the Phoenix Force put him in a cocoon state. Uh. Jaws! Jaws jumps in and covers him with his body and his yes. own
1: indestructibility saves him both. <laughs>
0: Nice. Oh, um, actually Jaws in this film he gets a bit of the um, the G.I.J. movie rescue at the end there because he's on the space station that's collapsing to Earth they're like oh there were two survivors a tall man and a short woman like <laughs> right, yeah in the G.I.J. movie because everyone hated the Optimus Prime die in the Transformers movie they put a line at the end where he's like I just got a call Duke's fine <laughs> he's come out of his coma <laughs> Uh,
1: if you want uh, more Jaws, I recommend watching uh, from the Oscar ceremonies in 1982 when they do the "For Your Eyes Only" performance because that was amazing. it was an Oscar-nominated song. Mm. You have Jaws and Odd Job from Goldfinger uh, dancing about on stage. They amazing original actors. <laughs> <sighs>
0: Which, yeah, he's uh... done a, he's done a bunch of cameo appearances since in like various other films. And apparently he's a major character in James Pond Jr.
1: <laughs> Sadly not played. Richard Fields no. Occurate
0: Studio would do science. <laughs> Maybe he did. We don't know.
2: Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's right over there. He's just in the corner. It's cool. <laughs> he's officially endorsing it with his time, but we're not paying him
1: because <laughs> he's not doing anything. <laughs> uh uh, I, I know it a Richard Kiel trivia, but he was the original Incredible Hulk hmm. uh, before they decided he wasn't good enough and got the, uh, the other bloke to replace him. Uh, so if you if you want some shots of the Incredible Hulk pilot, some of that is Jaws. Okay. Uh, We've got shot from behind, so it reshoots all of it.
2: Huh. And we'll be encountering him again soon in the Twilight Zone because he's the, the alien that likes to eat humans.
1: Oh, cool. He, he loves bad meat
2: yeah <laughs>
1: man flesh
2: um i guess we'll kind of close the book on this one for today unless then someone has a, a a moony thought a thought of the moon thoughts about the moon that they want to share
0: they don't actually land on the moon in this do they
2: no it's just the name of the space shuttle man
0: yeah i'd always um i'd assumed it would end up with a moon base but it's not It's just a space station
2: you're, that's where you're crossing your wires with Austin awesome powers because i think they do go to the moon that one
0: uh, yes, yeah. space shuttles
1: can't go to the moon uh, this film is science fact so they, they couldn't there you go, go. Yep. <laughs> to the moon
0: more fool me
1: <laughs> uh, well, I'll give you one final uh, bit of uh, interesting production trivia or not uh, but when they're blowing up the space station at the end because you don't have explosions in the vacuum of space because they're science facts that was achieved by hanging the model upside down from the ceiling and shooting it with shotguns nice
2: and in the James Bond universe, will never be able to put anything into space ever again.
1: We've always death satellites. That's only a good, good thing.
2: <laughs> we've we've, we've, we've pris- imprisoned ourselves on the Earth now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Stuart, I guess, tell them where you're at, if people want to find what you're up to on the Internet, things like that.
1: Uh, yeah, well, uh, I... Uh... I'm at garlic on Twitter. And uh, most of the places that you might want to look, uh, apart from uh, any, anything that's cool, like TikTok or a lot of that, but uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, and Facebook as well, uh, at Uh, where my main thing is uh, now revisitation, websites where every week I look at a different issue of the IDW Transformers comic, comics in publication order from uh, over the last nearly 20 years of their history. So it's uh, looking at them with their original context, reviewing them, uh, the ongoing stories and uh, behind-the-scenes information that's nearly as interesting as my shooting the a model with a shotgun anecdote there. And uh, sort of all sorts of behind-the-scenes stuff like that. And uh, some swear words, probably. I think I said cunt. In the last weeks, <laughs> uh, but not quite as bad as what would have had me bleeped out on this podcast. I was only using this in a of context. You so see that one on there.
2: Is that the name uh, of the Transformer?
1: Oh, but, but there are some uh, contentious <laughs> names of Transformers. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other, other podcast. But uh, yeah, you can see me do that. And you can also. Model- Can't
0: transform and
1: roll out. <laughs> Uh, you can also buy books of my previous website project Transformation, where I did exactly the same thing but for the Marvel Transformers comic, uh, which are on Amazon and uh, other online retailers, and uh, another one of those should hopefully be coming out this year, uh, because it's a few years late.
0: But buy the first two now, and you can be cool before the third one comes out. I've read the first two, I think my one my second one is signed.
1: Yes, in person,
0: Yeah, I met you just uh, before I left for Japan for that one. You were like, I've got my side book,
1: now I must leave.
0: Yeah. This country forever. Well, it's going to become rare soon when Britain is destroyed, so... Yes, I mean, I'm talking about what I'm doing, but,
1: uh, you yeah, the way things are, this could be the last thing of mine that ever goes out. So, <laughs> If you're hearing this uh, from uh, beyond the grave, uh, I think my, my, my life has a message. a message is, be like Roger Moore. Oh will all take that. Uh, take that home with you. Whether your homes are still sanded or
0: not. Yeah, I've been trying to squeeze in a lot of UK guests before the end of British summertime, but also just before the end of Britain.
1: Good fees, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, how long does it take for me to so come out? A couple of weeks, is it?
0: Well, we've actually got quite a backlog at the minute, so it will be a few weeks, yeah.
1: yeah a few weeks. We've the people listen to this in a in a month or so will be like, "Oh, they sound so naive." Only <laughs> they knew what actually happened next. Because the way we see has gone so far, they're <laughs> laughing at us again. Oh, they thought a nuclear war would be the terrible thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they were still able to laugh. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: <laughs> listen to their pessimism. This was before Boris fixed everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, The President of
1: Ukraine, who is now our great big hope for the future, he is a TV celebrity, reality star to politician, Donald mm. like Trump was, only, only we all like this one. It's, a bit, it's like it's worth this time, the process of, oh, he wouldn't come dancing, we'll make him President.
0: Yeah, he actually seems pretty sound.
1: It's uh, Trump and Johnson, they had to fall so he could fly. <laughs> it was a great experiments of putting people on television and then making them in charge.
0: I wish Johnson would fall from a great height and there was not a circus beneath him to catch him.
2: Should be, everyone deserves a circus, probably. I mean, you're probably going to die if you hit the circus. It's just going to be a spectacle for the
0: circus, right? I mean, he is a clown, so he probably oh. should land in a circus, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Luca, just tell them where we're at. Oh, you can find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFSPod. Pod, also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where podcasts can be found. Make sure you find us, give us a like and a five star rating and a review and a whatever else. Um, and if you want to help keep this podcast online, support us, pay the bills, and hopefully hear episodes a little bit early, you can go to slash podcastio podcastius.
1: How do you? This, if you came to this podcast because of me, uh, and I can't see why you would have, uh, I'd say they have some really good guests, big names that you would not expect uh, two expats living in Japan to get hold of. Uh, They got
0: the Send out um, out enough messages, people say yes. It's crazy. (laughs) They they got
1: the the CERN of Gene Roddenberry to come on and talk about the Star Trek film that is an extensive piss take of Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. That, that was the impressive thing. <laughs> <laughs> and did he get into race race or boats on that? He did it talk didn't. a bit
0: about like how it relates to people like remembering his father and stuff. I think that was actually a really interesting chat we had. Yeah. We also had not, that we've had Chong on the podcast <laughs> of Cheech and Chong.
2: I think he must have thought we were someone else or he was just really
0: high. <laughs> what,
1: what film did you have him on
0: for? I mean, we barely talked about films, but we just talked about his first film. <laughs> it's got a car made of weed. That's sci-fi. So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you, you could hear Cheech from
1: Cheech and Chong. I, I don't know who that is, but I'm sure that, that one is impressive. And you could hear... Uh UG Roddenberry and uh, all sorts of other people.
0: Are they all pale in comparison to Stuart Webb?
1: That is the correct response.
0: Good. Which will change the <laughs> name to the webcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and never do a Spider-Man movie again because that'll be extra confusing. <laughs> oh, all I remember right, well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say all of my books are
0: signed by me. <laughs> that, would, that would be hip. <laughs> Maybe I'll start doing that, just signing all my own books. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse people, I sell them. To myself, with frank admiration. <laughs> to Luke, keep on trucking, from Luke. <laughs> You're going to do that, aren't you? Possibly. <laughs> I'm going to do it to all the books Rob lends me from now on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to go and attempt re-entry, so laters... Ooh la la! Oh, that was not the right
2: button. Coming soon, Annihilation, First Spaceship on Venus.